Ephesians 6. Look at the first four verses in the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Try to be a little more brief tonight, and uh, tomorrow we'll take a little more time. Is everybody comfortable? Anybody too warm? <coughs> Doors open? We doing fine? Okay. Okay. If you get too warm, you have to signal the pastor here, and he'll he'll help you out. Okay. We've been looking these two days. That the simple truth, for this cause, shall a man leave father and mother and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. One man, one woman, one life constitutes marriage. Marriage is pure. Marriage is pure. And a son leaves dad and mom at marriage, meaning when he's ready for marriage and at the point of marriage. Shouldn't be a problem for a child who's unmarried to live at home because he should be with the program, the ideas of a child leaving is that he continues what dad and mom have done, and the idea of a child still at home is that he there continues what dad and mom have done. Now, we often hear preachers say, and I think this is correct, that God set up, began three institutions. Uh, we say God began government, God instituted the church, and God instituted the family. And that's true. And if God instituted these three things, they are institutions. And institutions institute. In other words, they teach the purpose for an institution. If I said I'm going to start a Bible institute with the pastor, and if we were going to start a Bible institute, you'd, you'd take that to mean we're going to start something with which or in which we could teach people the Bible. Or if I could go to this institute, I could learn the Bible. So the question is, what does the family institute? Now, not everybody here is married. Not everybody here has kids still at home. Some of you are not married. Some of your kids are gone. They're grown and gone. So the specifics of what we're going to look at tonight won't be a help to you. But the principles gained from what we see tonight should be a blessing to all of us. So let's look at this in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. You ready? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment, with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long of the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now let's just look at several things that the institution of the home institutes. Every time, this is what we are to be about. Number one, character. Character. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I love this. Look at verse 1 and tell me why a son or a daughter at home should obey their parents. Look at the verse. Because it's right. Because it's right, okay. It's not because parents are older, wiser, smarter, more spiritual, richer, uh, more experienced. It's not because of any of those things. Now, by the way, when I was a dad with young kids at home, this was a help to me. Because I never had to be in competition with my kids. I never had to feel like I was smarter than, more spiritual than, more knowledgeable than. Are parents, are parents always smarter than their children? No. Are they always more spiritual? No. no. 
Are they always wiser? No. Are they always more compassionate? Always more thoughtful? Always older? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but that's the only one. In other words, I was older than my kids, but when you said that, you said it. Okay, but my kids were not to obey me because I was wiser or more spiritual or older, although maybe I was at times more err than they were. That's not the point. My kids don't obey because I'm anything err. They obey because my name is Dad and yours is Junior. See, and, and if you get that in your thinking, it'll, it'll help you. So that the reason kids obey is not because they want to, though they may are because they um, see profit in obeying, though they may. The reason kids are to obey is because it's right. Yes. See, that's character. You do what's right because it's right. Here's character. is the desire and ability to do what's right in spite of outward pressures, inward yearnings, or eventual outcome. Character. Can I say it again? is the desire and ability to do what's right in spite, uh, in spite of uh, outward influences, inward yearnings, or eventual outcome. In other words, a man of character does what's right because it's right. No matter what somebody else says, no matter what he may want in his heart, no matter what the outcome is. In other words, when you do what's right, it doesn't always make the outcome great. Remember Joseph in saying no to Potiphar's wife? It's the right thing to do. He went to prison for it for two years. Okay, so character is the desire and ability to do what's right in spite of outward influence, inward yearnings, or eventual outcome. And you learn that at home, guys. Right. Somebody says, American football teaches character. Well, it may. It may. Our soccer football here may teach character to a point. Um, school. A good school may teach character. Um, being in church, one can learn character. That's true, but you learn character at home. Children obey because it's right. Number two, discipline. Now remember this morning we, we saw discipline as fences maintained by dad and mom and then picked up by junior and sis later in life. Okay, discipline is learned at home. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition. Admonition, putting into the mind of. Nurture means enforced discipline. It means discipline with a hook. Sometimes we would say spanking. It includes spanking. It doesn't mean just spanking. But it means those things that will help your youngster do what he's supposed to do because he's supposed to do it. See, it's part of what builds character. So discipline is learned at home. The place where where one learns discipline is at home. That's why, and by the, by the way, I don't mean this as a, a slam on anybody, but if you were not privileged to be raised in a family where dad and mom taught Bible principles, then you're behind, you're behind in the race at coming to discipline because you have to learn about it on your own, which you can do, but you have to learn on your own not having seen it in the life of your parents. Discipline is learned in the home. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Number three, responsibility. <coughs> responsibility. Honor thy father and the mother, which is the first commandment with promise. You're responsible to that. 
Obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. You're responsible for that. Responsibility is learned at home. Now, I, I don't know about Ireland, but America has raised an entire generation, maybe two or three generations, of people who don't know the meaning of the word responsible. They want somebody else to take care of them. They want benefits from everybody else. They want somebody else to take care of their job, their family, their rent, their car, um, their medical expenses. This is in America I'm talking about. They want somebody else to take care of everything. And they don't understand the value of responsibility. Now, Dad, let me just say this. I'm just going to say this point blank. Your kids need to learn responsibility, and you're the one who needs to teach it to them. Responsibility is best learned in the home. Number four, this is one of my favorite, success. Suppose I, suppose I ask tonight, how many, how many parents in your church do you think want success for their children? Well, my first guess would be all of them. That would be pretty close, wouldn't it? You want your kids to be successful. I certainly wanted that for my kids. You would want that for yours. Here's the problem. If you let the world determine success, then your kids might be successful by the world's standards, but not by God's. Uh, for example, I heard a guy in America, his name's Turner, Ted Turner. He's the guy that started CNN. I heard him <laughs> in an interview, and I look, this is not to be unkind. I, I, it's just the truth. The guy's a bumbling idiot. Uh, you say, yeah, but he's a multimillionaire. Well, I'll give him that. He, he knows how to make money. I'm not fussing about that. But he has absolutely no sense about anything. He just doesn't have any. So if you said, Bill, would you like your son to be a success like Ted Turner? It's easy for me to answer. No. No. Okay. Now, am I saying I want my son to be poverty stricken? No, that's not the point. The point is that money in and of itself is not success. Look, why should I bore you and me tonight by telling the stories of multimillionaires who have taken their own lives? Has that not happened? I mean, it happens fairly regularly in the United States. I assume it would, it would here as well. So here's a guy. He's a great success financially but he takes his own life. Or here's another favorite of mine. Here is a couple that's internationally famous because they're in the entertainment industry. So they're known literally around the world. In the so-called civilized world, at least they're known. And both he and she are wealthy. And they've been married for three years and they get a divorce. Now, look, I'm not trying to be hard on people who may be in any way touched by divorce, but I, I'm just telling you, that guy is not a success. That's right. if, you, if you can't keep your own wife, look, well, yeah, but they're, they're known around the world, so? They both are multimillionaires, so? They're not getting along. And I don't buy this, we're divorced, but we're still friends. I don't buy that. I don't think it's true. Listen, I still remember the girl in second grade that dumped me, and I'll never forgive her, you know? <laughs> this girl dumped me in second grade. She's not worth anything, let's face it. So, I mean, I cannot imagine being married now for 44 years to Mary and having that marriage come to an end 
and my saying, I'm still a friend. I wouldn't know what to do. I'm serious about this around Mary if we just got together for a Coke. I'd feel weird. I wouldn't know how to live. I don't think, by the way, I don't think a man's a great success if his kids aren't godly. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not beating you over the head if your kids are grown and gone. That's not the point. That's not a help to anybody. But if you've got small kids at home, I don't care what kind of job, how often you work, how hard you work, how much you make, uh, how well you do in your church. Your kids don't turn out, see, that's not success. Now, I love this. Notice what it says. That children, you're to honor your parents, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Okay, it goes well with the kid that honors his dad and mom. Now, if it goes well with the kid that honors his dad and mom, what happens to the kid that doesn't honor his dad and mom? Doesn't go well. And by the way, I think the phrase here, um, that it may be well with thee and thou mayst live long on the earth, I don't think it's saying here that if a son dishonors his parents, he'll automatically die. Nor is it saying that it is wrong for a child to die. Now, none of us want that to happen. In other words, I, I can't imagine uh, the grief at losing a child. My brother lost a daughter when she was 18. And in an accident, she fell down a stairway. And uh, I just can't imagine um, the heaviness that would bring. So I wouldn't want to lose a child. I don't want you to. Uh, but by the same token, wouldn't both of us agree that God is good? And if God brought someone home early to heaven that even though it would be very difficult for me, I wouldn't say God is evil because he did that. So it's not wrong for a child to die. None of us want it. I understand that. But it's not wrong for a child to die. Here's what's wrong. It's wrong for my life to be cut off short because I'm a rebel. See, there's no sense in that. And I can tell you this. If if you've got teenage sons and daughters, you need to hear this now because it's important. A son or a daughter who doesn't honor his parents is not going to have things go well, period. I didn't say this. God did. It's not my idea. It's God's. So that it may be well with thee. But by the same token, a son or a daughter that honors parents, God promises that things will go well with him. See, things will go well. That's success. And in, in the home, I, I'd like to do two things in the home as a father. Number one, I'd like to set the standard of success for my kids. And number two, I'd like to help them attain it. See, so success is something that's learned in the home. Is that number four? Okay, number five, if that's number four. It's number next, whatever it is. Marriage. Marriage. Marriage is best learned in the home. Marriage. Now look, and I mean this, guys, and I'm serious about it. I'm thankful for every men's retreat that any church has. I think this is profitable for all of us. I love stuff like this. I think this is great. I think it's good. But I'm telling you, 10 men's retreats like this one will not do for a young man uh, in his teen years what a good home life will do for him. Now, that's not to pick on anybody here that hasn't had a great home life. But, you know, one of the reasons some of you battle with stuff 
that you probably wouldn't have to battle with, all things being equal, is because you didn't get help when you were 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Now, don't, don't use that as an excuse. Please think through this. Don't use that as an excuse. I'm just saying it's a fact of life. See, I, I think it's fine to read a book about how to discipline kids. I think it's fine to go to church and hear a preacher talk about disciplining kids. In fact, I think it can be very profitable. But I'll tell you, you'll learn more about that from your own folks. You know? Uh, my dad was younger than I. He was 64. Um, he had a stroke. He wasn't 64. He was 63, almost 64. He had a stroke from which he never fully recovered. And he lost his ability to speak and he lost his ability to walk. He gained his ability to walk back. He worked hard at that. And he could speak uh, much better in the next two years of his life. But he, he never regained either completely. And I remember the night that Dad had a stroke, we took him to the hospital, went to the emergency room, and then they put him in a room. And I remember the doctor telling Mother it was very serious and he probably would never walk again and would never speak again. And I remember the night... The dad was put into a hospital room. I went up to the hospital room to help mother, to help mother because she, you know, was there to care for dad. And dad was laying in the bed, of course, and his right side was paralyzed. And dad, with his left hand, was holding hands with mother across his body. You know, he's holding hands with mother. She's on the right side of the bed. And I remember my father turning to my mother and saying as clearly as I could say it to mother, whom he called the princess, he called her the princess. He turned to my mother and said, just like this, he said, I love you. He couldn't say my name. My name was his name. My name is Bill. It's just like yours, Dad. He called me Joe. He couldn't, I don't know exactly how strokes work, but, you know, he would think Bill, but it would come out Joe. And there were a lot of words he, he just couldn't pronounce. He, he just couldn't say, uh, say them at all. It's like... Uh, like the guy that was telling us about revivals today and the dog that bit his master and so on, that guy. I know you guys could understand him. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. <laughs> I, I want to say to him, excuse me, excuse me, I speak Tennessee English. Could you help me out? You know, he said, I, I pick up a word and I, I heard him say dog. I asked the pastor what that was about later. I heard him say dog and uh, I heard him talk about the church and about things like that. But honestly, I, I just I couldn't understand a thing he was saying. Well, that's the way it was with Dad. He couldn't understand words when you talked to him, and he couldn't say them. But the doctor said, even with a stroke victim, you don't lose your automatic speech. Well, I reckon I love you then was automatic to my dad. You reckon? Okay, so it was easy for me when I got married to tell Mary that I loved her. I, I never had a battle with that. Now, I know some guys do, and I don't think it's the end of the world because it's like anything else. You can learn to do what's right. Yeah. See, so that's fine. But it came maybe more naturally, that one thing did to me, because I learned it from Dad. I Don't tell anybody this. I learned how to spank from <laughs> my dad. That is, I learned the mechanics of spanking from my dad. Dad's right-handed. Sit down in a chair. You bent over his left knee. He took his right leg, and put it over the top of your leg so he wouldn't scarf your legs. Then he put his hand in the small of your back so it wouldn't harm your gizzard or whatever's in there and stuff in your back. And then mother would hold your hands. You know what? My mother's 96. To this day, 
I don't enjoy holding hands with my mother. <laughs> it brings back, it brings back, uh, <laughs> brings back bad memories. But then my my dad, dad spanked with a belt, and I know you're not supposed to spank with belts. I, I, I know all this. You're not supposed to spank at all. I know this, but dad spanked with a belt, and it, I was a kid in the fifties. And in the 50s, there was a style that was big that had skinny belts. Any of you remember these? Yeah, they had skinny belts like that. My dad wore a cowboy belt. It was about, it was about like, it was like a razor strop, they used to call them. That's what my dad wore. Well, I learned, I learned how to spank from my dad. See, I, I, it's just normal and natural. Look, your kids are going to learn from your leadership, period. Somebody says, well, I don't know that I'm a great teacher. You're teaching your kids all the time. Yeah. You teach them by what you say. You teach them by what you do. You teach them by what you don't do. You're teaching your kids all the time. Yeah. For example, you know this. Here's a guy that has a battle with drinking. And he, um, he's, a, he's a great guy, but he gets drunk and he comes home and beats his wife got a nine-year-old boy, and the nine-year-old boy hates it. He loves his dad. I mean, it's his own dad. He loves his dad. But when he sees his dad come home drunk, he just heads for the covers. He hates it. And this nine-year-old boy says, you know, one thing, when I, when I get grown, I'm never going to drink, and I'm sure never going to beat my wife. Do you know that statistics tell us he will probably do both? So where did he learn it? Dad. See, Dad says, well, I'm not a teacher. I don't even spend any time with my kids. Everything you say and do in your home is, to some extent, a lesson for your children. So, yeah, you're, you're teaching your, your kids. One more thing. This is my favorite. The home is where you learn spiritual truth. Now, we're going to look at this more in the morning, but let me just start it out tonight. The home is where you learn spiritual truth. Now, somebody says... Well, shouldn't you learn that at church? Of course you should. And if you have the right kind of home, you will. But if you don't have the right kind of home, you probably won't. In the first place, you may not even be in church. In the second place, if you're in church, you're sent. And uh, you get help from godly people at the church. But it's not like learning spiritual truth at home. Now, Now, gentlemen, listen to this and buy into this if you can. This is true. I hope I can convince you of it. Look. The reason for discipline, the reason for training, the reason for raising kids is not just so that you can be a good parent. It's so that your kids will learn spiritual truth. See, I've heard people say this who should know better. Well, you can make your kids go to church, but you can't make them want to. Or you can make your kids learn the Bible, but you can't make them love it. Or you can make your kids listen in church, but that doesn't mean they're listening with their heart. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Why make them go to church? Why do it? What's the purpose? Why make your kids learn the Bible? Well, because they should be in church. Why? If you're not going to change their heart, what in the world are you after? I mean, if you can say, well, I'll tell you one thing. When those kids were in my home, they were in church every Sunday. I could care less. So what? What difference does that make? What you want is the heart of your children. And the reason you take them to church and have them learn the Bible and the reason you discipline kids is because it all results in spiritual growth. Now, you can't believe the people 
who should know better and who should say better that disagree with that. And their, their basic concept is, you know, you can do the best you can, but in the final analysis, it's all up to God. I mean, you do the best you can and you just hope for the best, but who knows? And then they'll say stuff like this. I'm making up the name. I'm making up the name. Remember the Johnsons at our church? Wonderful people. Three kids, remember? They were in church every time the doors were open. They were in daily vacation Bible school. They were in, they were in church school. They were in Sunday school. They, were, they memorized the Bible. They sang at the Christmas program. All three of them are out of church now. Huh? 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 You can do the best you can, but you can't be assured that your kids will turn out right. Now listen, gentlemen. Not only can you be assured, but you should be. Now there are many passages of Scripture. Let me refer to two, maybe three tonight. All right? In Proverbs... Uh, I think it's 29, 13, the Bible says, if you beat your child with a rod, now, now listen to this, he shall not die, thou shalt beat him with a rod and shall save his soul from hell. Okay, notice the cause and effect here. If you beat your child with a rod, and by the way, that's harsh language. I wouldn't choose to say it that way. I'd say if you spank your loving child. Okay. If you beat your child with a rod, he won't die. You'll beat him with a rod and save his soul from hell. So you have a physical action that results in a spiritual outcome. Now, some would say, well, the word hell there means the abode of the dead. And it just means if you discipline your child, then you can save him from an early death. Okay, you're making my point. Because if you do what's right, in the home, it will result in righteousness in the life of your child. Here's another one. Proverbs, um, Proverbs 13 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but rather grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it worketh forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. To which I would say, does it or doesn't it? Does, what is righteousness? Is righteousness something that I can come up with? Is righteousness something that I can train my kids in? No. Is righteousness something that I can teach in the sense that I can teach um, spelling words and the kids will get it? No, righteousness is given by God, is it not? Okay, discipline of my children results in righteousness. Somebody says yes, but in that passage it's talking about God's disciplining of us. Yes, but when he says, now no chastening, for the present, seemeth to be joyous, but rather grievous. He's just used an illustration of an earthly father chastening his son. So he's saying, look, the whole business of chastening is not joyous, it's grievous. But it results in the peaceable fruit of righteousness. To which I say, does it or doesn't it? Here's another one. I love this one. The Bible says, Proverbs, the rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Now, we all believe the second part of the verse. A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Have you ever seen a child left to himself in Walmart that brought his mother to shame? Okay. So the second part of the verse says, A child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. That's not a general statement um, that we can take from the book of Proverbs, which is really only a bunch of general statements. It doesn't mean... It's not what, no, it means what it says. A child left himself brings his mother to shame. It's the truth. 
okay, somebody says, is it a promise? It's not the point. It's the truth. It's what happens when a child's left himself. Okay, now the first part of the verse says, the rod, that's spanking, and reproof. That's warning or instruction, um, teaching, training, uh, primarily on the warning side. The rod, spanking, and reproof give wisdom. Now, wisdom is not smarts. It's not what wisdom is. You can have wisdom without having a lot of smarts, and you can have a lot of smarts without having any wisdom. Okay, so what is wisdom? Well, the word used most that I've seen to describe wisdom is the word skill. In other words, it's ability. Now look, here's what the Bible says. If I will chasten properly my kids with the rod and reproof, it will give to my kids not knowledge but the ability to use properly the knowledge that they have. Okay, now look, look, apply this. It doesn't mean if I spank my kids, they will know that Jesus died on the cross. It doesn't mean that. It means they'll understand why He did and what the result is. See, it's, it's wisdom. See, I, I give to my kids wisdom to the run reproof. Look, you can train godly children, period. It's what the Bible teaches again and again and again and again. And you can, and your kids can turn out right. Now, you, you may hit some snags. Who wouldn't? But you can. In other words, this whole business of the family is not just so that my kids can learn how to make a living, but it's so that my kids can learn what godly living is all about. See, And you can have that in your home. And don't sit there and say, but Brother Bill, I've only been saved for four years or five years and things have been kind of a mess in my life. Hey, okay, so they have been. This is the new day. Amen. If God's given you a wife and you've got children, get with the program. Amen. See, in other words, walk out of this place saying, Dear Lord, I don't know all the answers, but I know where to find them. Yeah. See, are you in a good church? Yeah. Okay, if you're in a good church, then start asking questions. You know, I was raised in a godly home all my life. When Mary and I got married, it was a little different to raise your kids than it was being raised. I learned a lot, but I'd never done it. It's like, it's like reading a book and learning how to drive a car and then getting out in the car and driving it. So I, I remember several times Mary and I, would we would find godly people in the church whose kids had turned out right and ask them questions. You know, this is interesting, at least it is to me. There are two women, two ladies that had a lot to do with rearing kids that Mary and I talked to. Now, there were more than these two ladies. But I'm I'm telling you because there were women. There were two ladies that we went to that gave us advice that was more help than anybody will ever know about till we get to heaven. One was with our son, and uh, the other was with both daughters. And they were were small things, I suppose. Uh, They weren't to us. They were... There were big things to us, but they may be considered small things. But the point is, here were two ladies whom God had used. And by the way, God had used them in education. Uh, one of them wasn't even married. But went to these ladies and said, hey, here's what we're facing with our kids. What do you think? And both of them gave us advice that was godly, that was biblical, that was a help. And here I am, what would this be, 30... 32 years later, rejoicing in what I learned from those people. See, you can do that. You know anybody in your church that has good kids? 
If you don't, find somebody in some other church that has good kids and ask them, what in the world did you do? And if they say to you, we didn't do nothing. God was just good to us. You go find somebody else and get the right kind of advice. See, because the point is, you can see spiritual growth in your children, and that's the whole reason for all of it. Let me close with this. I hate spankings. I think I mentioned it this morning. I, I really do. I hate spankings. Hate them, hate them, hate them. I hated getting them. I hated giving them. I would never, ever have spanked any of our children if I didn't think that in so doing I could be a help. I never spanked my kids because I was mad at them. I was mad when I spanked them. By the way, that's a misnomer. People say you should never spank your kids uh, when you're mad. That's all right. The, the issue is not whether or not you're mad. It's whether or not you can stay in control. If you can't control your anger, then you're right. Don't you go near your kids. But is God ever angry when he disciplines? Yeah, okay. So anger is part of it. And I used to let my kids know I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy about this one bit, and you ain't going to be happy about it either in just a minute. <laughs> now, I think that's fine if you can do it under control, see, uh, so that the, the, the idea is spanking your kids, knowing that it will help. I honestly believed this, and I still do tonight. I honestly believe that even something as terrible as spanking could be a help in the life of Will, Wendy, and Wren. And there's no sense in being involved in it if it's not. There's no sense in dragging your kids out of bed on Sunday morning if it's not going to do something that has spiritual impact to it. There's no sense making your kids have character or making your kids have responsibility or making your kids say, sir or ma'am, or have honor or respect. There's no sense in any of that apart from the simple truth that it will make a difference. And it will. It will. And trust God about it. Spout for prayer. Father, again, we thank you for loving us. We think um, of all of us tonight in this room, were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ, and if any of us got what we deserve, we'd be in hell right this second, and we know that. We're so thankful, dear Lord, that you sent your Son, who died in our stead, and offered to us the gift of eternal life. We're thankful for that. Then we're thankful for the, the truth that just being saved from hell is not where we need to stop in our lives. That you, you, you give to us the right to be what we should be at home. And that while we may not always be able to do the things we should do, you give us a way that would actually empower us to do what we need to do. So help us to learn those things. There are many things we need to learn. Help us to learn, dear God, to be what you would have us to be in our homes as men so that our being a man can impact properly a wife, a son, a daughter, a church, a community, even a nation. Help us, dear Lord, to be what we should be. We recognize the fact that whenever there was righteousness in an area, a revival in an area, it came about because men determined by the grace of God to do what's right. So help us to know what's right. Give us the courage to do it, I pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and for our sake. Amen.